0: Book 3, Canto 12 of The Fairy Queen by Edmund Spenser. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Thomas Copeland. Canto 12. The Mask of Cupid and the Enchanted Chamber are displayed, whence Britomart redeems fair Amaret through charms decayed. Though, when as cheerless night a covered had fair heaven with an universal cloud, that every white, dismayed with darkness sad in silence and in sleep themselves did shroud she heard a shrilling trumpet sound aloud sign of nigh battle or got victory not therewith daunted was her courage proud but rather stirred to cruel enmity expecting ever when some foe she might describe with that an hideous storm of wind arose with dreadful thunder and lightning atwixt and an earthquake as if it straight would loose the world's foundations from his centre fixed. A direful stench of smoke and sulphur mixed ensued, whose annoyance filled the fearful stead from the fourth hour of night until the sixth. Yet the bold Britannus was not a dread, though much inmoved, but steadfast still persevered. All suddenly a stormy whirlwind blew throughout the house that clapped every door with which that iron wicket open-flew, as it with mighty levers had been tore, and forth eschewed, as on the ready floor of some theatre, a grave personage, that in his hand a branch of laurel bore, with comely haviour and countenance sage, clad in costly garments fit for tragic stage. Proceeding to the midst, he still did stand, as if in mind he somewhat had to say, and to the vulgar beckoning with his hand in sign of silence, as to hear a play, by lively actions he can beray some argument of matter passionate. Which done, he back-retired soft away, and passing by, his name discovered, ease on his robe in golden letters ciphered. The noble maid still standing all this viewed, and marveled at his strange intendement, With that a joyous fellowship issued of minstrels, making goodly merriment, with wanton bards and rhymers impudent, all which together sung full cheerfully a lay of love's delight with sweet consent, after whom marched a jolly company in manner of a mask and ranged orderly. The while's a most delicious harmony in full strange notes was sweetly heard to sound, that the rare sweetness of the melody the feeble senses wholly did confound and the frail soul in deep delight nigh drown and when it ceased shrill trumpets loud did bray that their report did far away rebound and when they ceased it gan again to play the whiles the maskers marched forth in trim array the first was fancy like a lovely boy of rare aspect and beauty without peer matchable either to that imp of Troy, whom Jove did love, and chose his cup to bear, or that same dainty lad, which was so dear to great Alcides, that when, as he died, he wailed womanlike, with many a tear, and every wood and every valley wide he filled with Hylas' name. The nymph seek Hylas cried. His garment neither was of silk nor say, but painted plumes in goodly order dight like as the sunburnt Indians do array their tawny bodies in their proudest plight, as those same plumes so seemed he vain and light, that by his gait might easily appear, for still he fared as dancing in delight, and in his hand a windy fan did bear, that in the idle air he moved still here and there. And him beside marched amorous desire, who seemed of riper years than other swain, Yet was that other swain this elder's sire, And gave him being, common to them twain. His garment was disguised very vain, And his embroidered bonnet sat awry. Twixt both his hands few sparks he close did strain, Which still he blew and kindled busily, That soon a life conceived, and forth in flames did fly. Next after him went doubt who was he clad in a discoloured coat of strange disguise, that at his back a broad capuccio had, and sleeves dependent Albanese-wise. He looked askew with his mistrustful eyes, and nicely trod as thorns lay in his way, or that the floor to shrink he did avise, and on a broken reed he still did stay his feeble steps, which shrunk when hard thereon he lay. With him went danger, clothed in ragged weed, made of a bear's skin, that him more dreadful made. Yet his own face was dreadful, nay ne, did need strange horror to deform his grisly shade. A net in one hand, and a rusty blade in other was, this mischief, that mishap. With one his foes he threatened to invade, with th'other he his friends meant to enwrap, for whom he could not kill he practised to entrap next him was fear all armed from top to toe yet thought himself not safe enough thereby but feared each shadow moving to and fro and his own arms when glittering he did spy or clashing heard he fast away did fly as ashes pale of hue and wingy heeled and evermore on danger fixed his eye gainst whom he always bent a brazen shield which his right hand, unarmed, fearfully did wield. With him went Hope in rank, a handsome maid of cheerful look and lovely to behold. In silken Samite she was light arrayed, and her fair locks were woven up in gold. She always smiled, and in her hand did hold an holy water sprinkle dipped in dew, with which she sprinkled favours manifold on whom she list. And did great liking show, Great liking unto many, but true love to few. And after them dissemblance and suspect Marched in one rank, yet an unequal pair, For she was gentle and of mild aspect, Courteous to all and seeming debonair, Goodly adorned and exceeding fair. Yet was that all but painted and purloined, and her bright brows were decked with borrowed hair. Her deeds were forged, and her words false-coined, and always in her hand two clues of silk she twined. But he was foul, ill-favored, and grim, under his eyebrows looking still askance, and ever as dissemblance laughed on him, he lowered on her with dangerous eye-glance, showing his nature in his countenance. His rolling eyes did never rest in place, but walked each where for fear of hid mischance, holding a lattice still before his face, through which he still did peep as forward he did pace. Next him went grief and fury matched to fear, grief all in sable sorrowfully clad, down hanging his dull head with heavy cheer, yet inly being more than seeming sad. A pair of pincers in his hand he had, with which he pinched people to the heart, That from thenceforth a wretched life they led, in willful languor and consuming smart, Dying each day with inward wounds of duller's dart. But fury was full ill apparelled in rags, that naked nigh she did appear, With ghastly looks and dreadful dreary head for from her back her garment she did tear and from her head oft rent her snarled hair in her right hand a firebrand she did toss about her head still roaming here and there as a dismayed deer in chase embossed forgetful of his safety hath his right way lost after them went displeasure and pleasance he looking lumpish and full sullen sad and hanging down his heavy countenance she cheerful fresh and full of joyance glad as if no sorrow she ne felt ne dread that evil-matched pair they seemed to be an angry wasp the one in a vial had other in hers and honey lady bee thus marched these six couples forth in fair degree After all these there marched a most fair dame, led of two greasy villains, the one despite the other cleeped cruelty by name. She, doleful lady, like a dreary sprite, called by strong charms out of eternal night, had death's own image figured in her face, full of sad signs, fearful to living sight. Yet in that horror showed a seemly grace. And with her feeble feet did move a comely pace. Her breast, all naked as net ivory, without adorn of gold or silver bright, wherewith the craftsman once a beautify, of her due honor was despoiled quite, and a wide wound therein, O oh, rueful sight, entrenched deep with knife accursed keen, yet freshly bleeding forth her fainting sprite the work of cruel hand, was to be seen, that dyed in sanguine red her skin, all snowy clean. At that wide orifice her trembling heart was drawn forth and in silver basin laid, quite through transfixed with a deadly dart, and in her blood yet steaming fresh embayed and those two villains which her steps upstayed when her weak feet could scarcely her sustain and fading vital powers gan to fade her forward still with torture did constrain and evermore increased her consuming pain next after her the winged god himself came riding on a lion ravenous taught to obey the menage of that elf that man and beast, with power imperious, Subdueth to his kingdom tyrannous. His blindfold eyes he bade a while unbind, That his proud spoil of that same dolorous fair dame he might behold in perfect kind, Which seen he much rejoiced in his cruel mind. Of which full proud, himself uprearing high, He looked round about with stern disdain and did survey his goodly company and marshalling the evil ordered train with that the darts which his right hand did strain full dreadfully he shook that all did quake and clapped on high his coloured wingers twain that all his many it afraid did make though blinding him again his way he forth did take behind him was reproach repentance shame reproach the first shame next repent behind repentance feeble sorrowful and lame reproach despiteful careless and unkind shame most ill-favoured bestial and blind shame lowered repentance sighed reproach did scold reproach sharp stings repentance whips entwined Shame, burning bronze-irons in her hand did hold, all three to each unlike, yet all made in one mold. And after them, a rude, confused rout of persons flocked, whose names is hard to read. Amongst them was stern strife and anger stout, unquiet care and fond unthrifty head, lewd loss of time and sorrow seeming dead, in constant change and false disloyalty consuming rioties, and guilty dread of heavenly vengeance, faint infirmity, vile poverty, and lastly, death with infamy. There were full many mo' like maladies, whose names and natures I note readen well, so many mo' as there be fantasies in wavering women's wit, that none can tell, or pains in love, or punishments in hell. All which disguised marched in masking-wise about the chamber with that damosel, and then returned, having marched thrice, into the inner room from whence they first did rise. So soon as they were in, the door straightway fast locked, driven with that stormy blast which first it opened, and bore all away. Then the brave maid, which all this while was placed in secret shade, and saw both first and last, as she would forth and went unto the door to enter in but found it locked fast in vain she thought with rigorous uproar for to a force when charms had closed it afore where force might not avail there slights and art she cast to use both fit for hard and prize. for thee from that same room not to depart till morrow next she did herself advise when that same mask again should forth arise. The morrow next appeared with joyous cheer, calling men to their daily exercise. Then she, as morrow fresh, herself did rear out of her secret stand that day for to outwear. All that day she outwore in wandering and gazing on that chamber's ornament, till that again, the second evening, her covered with her sable vestment wherewith the world's fair beauty she hath blent. Then when the second watch was almost past, that brazen door flew open, and in went bold Britomart as she had late forecast, neither of idle shows nor of false charms aghast. So soon as she was entered, round about she cast her eyes to see what was become of all those persons which she saw without. But lo, they straight were vanished, all and some. In living white she saw in all that room, save that same woeful lady, Both whose hands were bounden fast, that did her ill become, And her small waist girt round with iron bands Unto a brazen pillar by the which she stands. And her before, the vile enchanter sate, Figuring strange characters of his art, With living blood he those characters rate, Dreadfully dropping from her dying heart, Seeming transfixed with a cruel dart, And all perforce to make her him to love. Ah, who can love the worker of her smart? A thousand charms he formerly did prove, Yet thousand charms could not her steadfast heart remove. Soon as that virgin knight he saw in place, his wicked books in haste he overthrew not caring his long labours to deface and fiercely running to that lady true a murderous knife out of his pocket drew the which he thought for villainous despite in her tormented body to embrue. but the bold damsel to him leaping light his cursed hand withheld and maestred his might from her to whom his fury first he meant the wicked weapon rashly he did rest and turning to herself his fell intent, unwares it struck into her snowy chest, that little drops empurpled her fair breast. Exceeding wroth therewith the virgin grew, albeit the wound were nothing deep impressed, and fiercely forth her mortal blade she drew to give him the reward of such vile outrage due. So mightily she smote him that to ground he fell half dead. Next stroke him should have slain, had not the lady, which by him stood bound, durnly unto her called to abstain from doing him to die? For else her pain should be remediless. sith none but he which wrought it could the same recure again. Therewith she stayed her hand, loath stayed to be, for life she him envied, and longed revenge to see. And to him said, thou wicked man whose meed for so huge mischief and vile villainy as death or if that aught do death exceed be sure that naught may save thee from to die but if that thou this dame do presently restore unto her health and former state this do and live else die undoubtedly he glad of life that looked for death but late did yield himself right willing to prolong his date and rising up, gan straight to overlook those cursed leaves his charms back to reverse. Full dreadful things out of that baleful book he read, and measured many a sad verse, that horror gan the virgin's heart to pierce, and her fair locks upstared stiff on end, hearing him those same bloody lines rehearse. And all the while he read, she did extend her sword high over him, if aught he did offend. Anon she again perceived the house to quake, and all the doors to rattle round about. Yet all that did not her dismay it make, nor slack her threatful hand for danger's doubt, but still with steadfast eye and courage stout abode, to weet what end would come of all. At last that mighty chain Which round about her tender waist was wound A down gan fall And that great brazen pillar broke in pieces small The cruel steel which thrilled her dying heart Fell softly forth as of his own accord And the wide wound which lately did dispart Her bleeding breast and riven bowels gored Was closed up as it had not been bored and every part to safety, full sound as she were never hurt, was soon restored. Though when she felt herself to be unbound and perfect whole, prostrate she fell unto the ground. Before fair Britomart she fell prostrate, saying, "Ah, noble knight, what worthy meed can wretched lady quit from woeful state yield you in lieu of this your gracious deed? Your virtue self, her own reward shall breed." Even immortal praise and glory wide, which I, your vassal, by your prowess freed, shall through the world make to be notified, and goodly well advance, that goodly well was tried. But Britomart, uprearing her from ground, said, Gentle dame, reward enough, I ween, for many labors more than I have found, this, that in safety now I have you seen, and mean of your deliverance have been. Henceforth, fair lady, comfort do you take, and put away remembrance of late teen. Instead thereof know that your loving make hath no less grief endured for your gentle sake. She much was cheered to hear him men she owned, whom of all living whites she loved best. Then laid the noble championess strong hand upon the enchanter, which had her distressed so sore and with foul outrages oppressed. With that great chain wherewith not long ago He bound that piteous lady prisoner, now released, Himself she bound, more worthy to be so, And captive with her led to wretchedness and woe. Returning back, those goodly rooms Which erst she saw so rich and royally arrayed, Now vanished utterly, and clean subversed she found, And all their glory quite decayed. That sight of such a change her much dismayed, Thence forth descending to that pearless porch, whose dreadful flames she also found delayed, and quenched quite like a consumed torch, that erst all enterers ONCE so cruelly to scorch. More easy issue now than entrance late she found, for now that feigned dreadful flame, which choked the porch of that enchanted gate, and passage barred to all that thither came, was vanished quite. As it were not the same and gave her leave at pleasure forth to pass then chant herself which all that fraud did frame to have a the love of that fair lass seeing his work now wasted deep and grieved was but when the victoress arrived there where late she left the pensive scudamore with her own trusty squire both full of fear neither of them she found were she them lore thereat her noble heart was astonished sore but most fair amaret whose gentle sprite now gan to feed on hope which she before conceived had to see her own dear knight being thereof beguiled was filled with new affright but he sad man when he had long in dread awaited there for britomart's return yet saw her not nor sign of her good speed his expectation to despair did turn misdeeming sure that her those flames did burn, and therefore gan advise with her old squire, who her dear nurslings lost no less did mourn, thence to depart for further aid to inquire, where let them wend at will, whilst here I do respire. Stanzas in 1590, replaced in 1596 with others at last she came unto that place where late she left sir scudamore in great distress twixt dolor and despite half desperate of his love's succour of his own redress and of the hardy Britomart's success there on the cold earth him now thrown she found in willful anguish and dead heaviness and to him called whose voices snow and sound soon as he heard himself he reared light from ground there did he see that most on earth enjoyed his dearest love the comfort of his days whose too long absence him had sore annoyed and wearied his life with dull delays straight he upstarted from the loathed lays and to her ran with hasty eagerness like as a deer that greedily embays in the cool soil after long thirstiness which he in chase endured hath now nigh breathless Lightly he clipped her twixt his arm as twain, and straightly did embrace her body bright. Her body, late the prison of sad pain, now the sweet lodge of love and dear delight. But she, fair lady, overcome and quite of huge affection, did in pleasure melt, and in sweet ravishment poured out her sprite. No word they spake, nor earthly thing they felt, but like two senseless stocks in long embracement dwelt. Had ye them seen, ye would have surely thought that they had been that fair hermaphrodite, which that rich Roman of white marble wrought, and in his costly bath caused to be sight. So seemed those two, as grown together quite, that Britomart, half envying their bless, was much impassioned in her gentle sprite, and to herself oft wished like happiness in vain she wished that fate no let her yet possess thus do those lovers with sweet countervail each other of love's bitter fruit to spoil but now my team begins to faint and fail all waxen weary of their journal toil therefore i will their sweaty yokes assoil at this same furrow's end till a new day and ye fair swains after your long turmoil now cease your work, and at your pleasure play. Now cease your work. Tomorrow is an holy day. End of Book 3, Canto 12 End of Book 3 of The Fairy Queen by Edmund Spenser, Recording by Thomas Copeland